Let's take our Bibles now and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 28. 1 Samuel 28. We finished last time by seeing that David was in a difficult situation. He had joined forces with the king of Gath and had worked for him for 16 months in order to avoid the pursuit of Saul. And now Achish, the king of Gath, wants him to join the Philistines in fighting against David's own people, Israel. And so we have to wonder what's going to happen. And the answer is not going to come until next time in chapter 29. But in the meantime, the author of 1 Samuel puts in this story that takes us actually back in time to, uh, to probably a few days or, or maybe weeks earlier. And the chronology of this event here that we see in chapter 28 is, is a little out of place. And we have to ask why. Why not just do it chronologically uh, to tell us what's going on. I think the answer partly has to do with part of the purpose of why 1 Samuel was written, and it was to show the contrast between King David and King Saul, that King Saul rose to power very quickly and then he declined. And as he was declining, then, then David was rising to power. And they were kind of on opposite tra- trajectories and that David was a man after God's own heart, seeking God's ways, trying to do God's will, and, and Saul was not concerned about God's purposes, as we'll see very clearly in this passage. In chapter 28, David is in a precarious situation at the beginning because of some poor choices that he had made, and he's going to have to be rescued somehow by God. And, and sadly, I don't think... In chapter 27, David really relied on God to, uh, to make these kinds of choices, to go and find refuge in the land of the Philistines. But if we think about the threat that there is on David's situation or in David's situation compared to the threat that there is in Saul's situation, Saul's, uh, David's challenge pales in comparison to what kind of challenge Saul has here. Saul is far from God not on God's side, unable to hear from God, and he's about to go into a battle that will end up taking his life. And so I think part of the reason to, to include this story, kind of um, to, to do a little bit of a flashback, to take us back in time a little bit, is to show the contrast between David's predicament and Saul's predicament and how they responded in their various situations. So let me read our text for us beginning in verse 3. This is the word of God. Now Samuel was dead, and all Israel had lamented him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had removed from the land those who were mediums and spiritists. So the Philistines gathered together and came and camped in Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel together, and they camped in Gilboa. When Saul saw the camp of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. When Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. And Saul said to his servants, Seek for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, Behold, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. Then Saul disguised himself by putting on other clothes and went, and, and he and two men went with him. And they came to the woman by night, and he said, Conjure up for me, please, and bring up for me whom I shall name to you. But the woman said to him, Behold, you know that Saul, what Saul has done, 
how he has cut off those who are mediums and spiritists from the land. Why are you then laying a snare for my life to bring about my death? Saul vowed to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice, and the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. And the king said to her, Do not be afraid, but what do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a divine being coming, a, a divine being coming up out of the earth. And he said to her, What is his form? And she said, An old man is coming up, and he is wrapped with a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel, and he bowed with his face to the ground and did homage. Then Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am greatly distressed, for the Philistines are waging war against me, and God has departed from me and no longer answers me, either through prophets or by dreams. Therefore I have called you, that you may make known to me what I shall do. Samuel said, Why then do you ask me? since the Lord has departed from you and has become your adversary. The Lord has done according as He has spoke through me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, to David. As you did not obey the Lord and did not execute His fierce wrath on Amalek, so the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will also give over Israel along with you into the hands of the Philistines. Therefore, tomorrow, you and your sons will be with me. Indeed, the Lord will give over the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. Then Saul immediately fell full length upon the ground and was very afraid because of the words of Samuel. Also, there was no strength in him, for he had eaten no food all day and night. The woman came to Saul and saw that he was terrified and said to him, Behold, your maidservant has obeyed you, and I have taken my life in my hands and have listened to your words which you spoke to me. So now also please listen to the voice of your maidservant and let me set a piece of bread before you that you may eat and have strength when you go on your way. But he refused and said, I will not eat. However, his servants together with the woman urged him and he listened to them. So he arose from the ground and sat on the bed. The woman had had a fattened calf in the house and she quickly slaughtered it. And she took flour, kneaded it, and baked unleavened bread from it. And she brought it before Saul and his servants and they ate. And then they arose and went away that night. The sad reality is that we, like Saul, desperately seek the wisdom of God, but many times we do it only as long as we can get it on our own terms. We desperately seek the wisdom of God as long as we can get it on our own terms, and we act like Saul when we do that kind of thing. We see a couple of things in this passage. First, we, we desperately seek wisdom that can only be found in God in verses 1-14. through 14. We desperately seek wisdom that can only be found in God. The, the problem here for, Sam, for Saul excuse me, is that there is this real threat of the Philistines. The first three verses uh, of our text provide the setting or the backdrop for what's about to happen. When I say the first three verses, I mean the first three of our text, so verses 3 through 5. And there are a couple of things going on. First, Samuel is dead. In verse 3, now Samuel is dead. Second, there, the, the consultation of the dead had been prohibited. Ne- necromancy was prohibited. That's consulting the dead. And the person who had prohibited it was Saul. 
Saul had made a rule in the land in, in an attempt to try to, to submit himself to God to remove all spiritists and mediums from the land by threat of death. The reason I know that it's by threat of death because when he actually asks her to, to talk to one of the, this, this dead person, Samuel, uh, she says, well, wait a second, you're trying to take my life in verse 9? Right? You're, you're trying to, to, to take my life from me? In other words, the, the king has already made a decree that no mediums or spiritists are allowed in Israel, and if I do this, I will die. And you know, when Saul made that law, he was right to do so. Because necromancy, the, the consulting of the dead, was prohibited by God. Listen to Deuteronomy 18:10-12. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, or one who uses divination, one who practices witchcraft, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer or one who casts a spell, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For whoever does these things is detestable to the Lord. And because of these detestable things, the Lord your God will drive them out before you. And so what the author is doing here at the beginning of our text, first he's saying Samuel is really dead. It's important for us to know that because we don't want to think, well, maybe this is a flashback way to back to the time when Samuel was alive, and so maybe this wasn't a spirit, maybe it was something else. But no, the, the author says, no, Samuel actually was dead. They mourned his death. And Saul had made this rule that pro- prohibited necromancy. And, and that's important for us because Saul's about to do something that's in violation not only of Deuteronomy chapter 18 of God's law, but actually he's doing something against his own law. No one can consult a medium or a spiritist. Third, we see in verses 4 and 5 that Saul was deathly afraid of the upcoming Philistine battle. Verse 4, the Philistines gathered together and came to Shunem, and Saul gathered all Israel together, and they camped at Gilboa. And when Saul saw the camp of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. So this is the king of Israel. This is a powerful man in the ancient Near East. And he's fearful. He is knees-knocking afraid of this upcoming battle. He knows that he's in deep trouble. And so this kind of sets the, the table for us of what's about to happen. Samuel's dead. Saul had outlawed mediums and spiritists. And Saul was about to be attacked by the Philistines and he was deathly afraid. So while he has this threat, sorry about that, Saul was afraid. And then next, the the reason that this threat is so serious is because of verse 6. God was silent, the silence of God. When Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. So Saul's in a desperate situation. And he needs to hear from God. But God is silent. Saul uses all the means that he can think of. But God won't respond. God won't talk to him in a dream. That was normal in those days. God didn't... or I shouldn't say normal, but that was possible in those days. God didn't speak to him through a priest. That's what that the text means in a urine. That's the, 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 uh, what the priest wore. They would have the ephod, and inside the ephod would be the urine and the thumim. And, and they would draw out one of these stones and it would tell the will of God for them. Usually, probably in, you would ask it in terms of yes or no question and God would give the answer through the priest. But God also didn't speak to him through the prophet. 
Right? You see that at the end of, of verse 6? So, by dreams, by priests, or by prophets, we could say. Well, why not? Why is God silent? Why won't God speak to someone who's seeking His wisdom? And the answer is that Saul was getting exactly what he wanted. Because Saul made it a pattern in his life that every time that God would speak, Saul would shut him up. The prophets would come and Saul would ignore the prophets. Remember when Samuel told him God's will with regard to the Amalekites? Saul ignored him. Kill them all. Put the ban on them. Saul says, well, maybe we can just save a few, right, for our benefit. And so he spares the king, he spares some animals. Saul had ignored the prophets. Saul had ignored the priests. Do you remember the story in chapter 22 with the priests of Nob? That was one of the ways that God communicated to Saul was through those priests. And he comes and has them come to his, his city and says, did you harbor a fugitive? Did you help? Did you aid and abet a fugitive, David, in giving him food and a sword? And the priest, of course, said he did. And what did Saul do to them? He killed them all. One of them escaped, but but effectively he killed all the priests. What's he doing here? He's cutting off the line of communication that God has established for him to speak to Saul. He's not listening to the prophets. He's not listening to the priests. So why would God be silent now when Saul is so desperately wanting to hear from God? The answer is that God will not be mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. The problem for Saul was not that God had never spoken to him. God had spoken many times. The problem was that Saul was unwilling to listen. That over the course of Saul's reign, he had sown the seeds of ignoring God, and now he was sadly reaping the harvest of God's silence. Saul wanted to hear God speak, but God was unwilling to speak. In verses 7 to 14, we see that Saul desires to speak to Samuel. If God's not going to speak through his ordained means at the times, Right, the dreams and the priests and the prophets, then maybe God would speak through this dead prophet, Samuel. He kind of had somewhat of a relationship with Samuel. So Saul says, you know what? I'm going to do it through a prohibited means. God has disallowed this, consulting the dead, but I'm going to do this anyway because I have to hear from God. I have to know God's will in this situation. Look at Saul's words in verse 7. And Saul said to his servant, Seek for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And now look back up to verse 3 at the end of the verse. And Saul had removed from the land those who were mediums and spiritists. So he had removed them and saying, Now I need to consult one of those that I have removed. So in verses 7 and 8, Saul finds a medium. He knows that he has banned this practice, but he also knows that Someone must still be doing this in secret. And his men happen to know of a lady. But the only problem is that she lives on the other side of the Philistine camp. 
Saul was in Gilboa. The Philistines are just north of Gilboa in Shunem. And, and then Endor is one city even north of Shunem. So you have Gilboa down here where Israel is encamped. And then you have the Philistines. And then you have Endor up here. Endor is where the, the, uh, the Spiritus is. And so effectively what Saul is going to have to do is he's going to have to do kind of a, a, a nighttime mission through the Philistine camp to get to this place to talk to this woman that is prohibited by God. And so he's going to have to disguise himself, and that's what he does in verse 8. And then we see that Saul persuades the medium in verses 9 through 10. He convinces the medium to speak to the dead. The medium initially was unwilling to consult the dead. And I don't think this is an act of spirituality on her part, as if she was a believer at this point or something, but, but rather she thought that they were going to they were setting a trap for her. Maybe the king had sent out some spies to see who was still doing this activity. And they were just pretending to want a spiritist when they really just wanted to trap her in her action. So she's not doing anything spiritual here. She's just trying to protect her own skin. Whatever the case, Saul blasphemously promises her safety. Look at verse 10. So she's concerned about her life and Saul vows to her, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. So here he's doing something that is is actually blasphemous. He's invoking the name of God. He's saying, as long as God lives, I will not allow you to be killed. Now what did God say in Deuteronomy 18? He said, this this activity is an abomination. We're going to look at some other texts later that shows that that these are things that that God puts people to death for. And so what Saul's saying is, yes, I know that God said you're going to be put to death if you engage in this activity, but what I'm saying is, as long as God lives, that this will not happen to you. So in effect, he's saying God is commanding you, God commanded you not to do this, but let God die if He judges you for bringing up the Spirit. So, So you can disobey God and God's not going to do anything about it. That's blasphemy. He's representing God, misrepresenting God in this situation. Verses 11 through 14, Saul asks for Samuel. To get to Endor, it was hard, but it was even more difficult to convince the medium to, to actually do this activity. But now the question is, will the medium actually be able to speak to Samuel like Saul wants him to? And in verses 12 through 14, the medium actually does speak to Samuel. Verse 12, when the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice, and the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. Apparently, up until this time, like verse 8 suggests, Saul was disguised. He didn't want her to know who he was. He didn't want the Philistines to know who he was as he's going through their camp. And, and yet, when she actually sees Samuel, somehow she figures it out that it is Saul. Now, why did she scream when she saw Samuel in verse 12? Maybe she was a charlatan and she was used to conning people. And so she would kind of go through this little ritual, this little seance, and, and normally she would fake through this part and pretend like she was seeing a, a spirit. But this time she actually does see one. And so she's alarmed. Maybe that's why she, she screams. she screams here. Or it could be that she recognizes who is in her presence. That is... Not the, not the spirit. Maybe she was used to seeing spirits. 
more likely it is that she recognized that Saul was the king. That, that now she was in deep water. That this man who once was disguised, now when she finds out that Samuel's there, he may perhaps removes the hood from his, his disguise and she sees his face clearly. And as she gets a better look, she realizes that she is going to be toast. Well, Saul knows that it's Samuel in verse 14 and he bows his face to the ground. What are we supposed to make of this? Perhaps you've read this in your Bible reading in the past and thought, well, what is going on here? How, how could a spirit of Samuel return? I mean, maybe this is just a demon disguising himself as the prophet Samuel. This couldn't be really the spirit of Samuel, could it? But I would suggest to you that every indication from the text points to the idea that this really is the spirit of Samuel. And and the reason I say that is because he was actually recognized by the woman and by Saul as Samuel. That's the first reason. The second reason I think this is Samuel is because Samuel reminds Saul of real conversations that they had had. Right? He says uh, in verse 17, The Lord has done accordingly as He spoke through me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand. And then he says in verse 18, as, as you did not obey the Lord and did not execute His fierce wrath on Amalek, so the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Samuel's talking about real conversations that he and Saul had had. And I think the best proof is that everything that Samuel says comes true. Right? He prophesies judgment to Saul. He says, Saul, you and your family are going to die. Tomorrow you're going to be given into the Philistines' hands. Is that what happens? In chapter 29, if you've read ahead, absolutely that's what happens. Saul does die. Now why would a demon ever want to tickle Saul's ears? If this were a demon just disguising himself as the spirit of Samuel, why wouldn't he just say, Saul, everything's going to be okay? That's why I think this is actually Samuel. A spirit of Samuel coming back from the dead to speak to Saul. And so if this is Samuel, as I think it is, how did this happen? How was this woman able to bring up the spirit of Samuel? And the answer is, I don't know. And even if I did know how she did it, I wouldn't tell you. Because there is no reason for any of us to know how this happens. There's no reason for any of us to engage in any of this activity because it is an an abomination to God. And so we don't need all of the reasons why it works or how it works. We just need to know in this case that Saul was so far away from God that he was willing to do the most disastrous and abominable thing in the eyes of God in order to hear from God. So, um, number one, we desperately seek wisdom that can only be found in God. Number two, We're happy to receive wisdom from God as long as we can do it on our own terms. Verses 15 through 25. We're happy to receive wisdom from God. And when I say that, I I don't mean all the time. I just say, you know, we we often are like Saul in this way. There are times when we love to hear from God as long as we can do it on our terms. As long as we can treat God like our little genie in the bottle. In verses 15 through 19, Saul speaks to Samuel. Saul and Samuel speak. And Saul has four concerns in verse 15. First concern is that the Philistines are looming. He says, 
In the middle of the verse, I am greatly distressed for the Philistines are waging war against me. The second concern is that God has departed and no longer answers me. It's really second and third. God departed from him. That's First Samuel 16. And then God no longer answers me. He doesn't speak to me, either through dreams or through priests or through prophets. God doesn't speak to me. The, the fourth concern is found there at the end of verse 15. Therefore I have called you that you may make known to me what I should do. In other words... Saul is without wisdom. He's, he's without real wisdom. Now, what we should recognize is that Saul is not concerned primarily about the glory of God or the advancement of God's fame. If he was, he wouldn't be consulting the dead. He wouldn't be using a medium to do it. No, he's more concerned about himself. Saying, the Philistines are about to attack me. God's not speaking to me. And, and, and here I am. I am in need of wisdom. And so Samuel, you have to talk to me. You have to tell me what's going to happen. And Samuel responds in verses 16 through 19. And he gives the preface, the preface to God's judgment in verse 16. Samuel said, Why then did you ask me, since the Lord has departed from you and has become your adversary? Samuel, or, or Saul, are you really concerned about God's will? about God's desire? Because if you were, then why are you seeking me? If you were really concerned, then why wouldn't you be repenting of your sins? Because we all know this side of the cross, in Psalm 66, 18, that if we harbor sin in our heart, the Lord will not what? He will not hear us. So there's an implied expectation here. That Saul should not be consulting Samuel. Saul should be consulting God. And he should be on his knees before God, repenting of his sins and begging God for mercy. Saul, if you were really concerned about God turning away from you, about Him being silent, then why do something that would be an even greater abomination to Him? Right? Are you really concerned about God here? You're not concerned with God's departure? concerned with the departure of God's gifts. You're concerned with the departure of God's wisdom. You don't care about God Himself. And God will not be mocked. The promise of God's judgment is found in verse 17. The Lord has done accordingly as He spoke through me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and has given it to your neighbor, David. This promise that, that has been given that you will, the, the throne will not be passed on to your children, Saul. It's coming true. It's being fulfilled. It's being passed on to David. And it's, not, it's going to happen in just a matter of time. The reason for God's judgment is found in verse 18. As you did not obey the Lord and did not execute His fierce wrath on Amalek, so the Lord has done this thing to you. So, why is it, Saul that the kingdom is being taken away from you. One of the main reasons Samuel gives right here, you didn't fully obey me when I gave you clear instructions from God with regard to Amalek. You didn't kill them all. Turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 10, just a couple books later in your Bible. 1 Chronicles chapter 10. Because I want you to see that his disobedience with the Amalekites was not the only reason that Saul died prematurely. That is, that he received uh, judgment prior to the time that it could have happened. In other words, he could have had a long, uh, profitable life, abundant life, but instead he 
sinned by disobeying God with regard to the, Amal- Am- the Amalekites. And then also this other thing. Notice what it is here in First Chronicles 10, verse 6. Thus Saul died with his three sons, and all those of his house died together. So this is a record of what's taking place. Skip down to verse 13. So Saul died. Why? For his trespass which he committed against the Lord because of the word of the Lord which he did not keep. Okay, so that's talking about the, the Amalekites. But notice the second one. And also because he asked counsel of a medium making inquiry of it and did not inquire of the Lord. Therefore he killed him and turned the kingdom of David uh, turned the kingdom of to David, the son of Jesse. So it's true. Saul did die because of his disobedience with regard to the Amalekites, but he also died because he consulted the medium. You see what's going on here? I think that this battle could have ended differently. This battle that's going to take place in chapter 29 of 1 Samuel. You can turn back there. If Saul would have humbled himself. Did you, did you notice that wording there in verse 14 of 1 Chronicles 10? Because you did not inquire of the Lord. He's crying about the fact that God's not speaking to him. And you know what the, the author of Chronicles is saying? Listen, all you had to do was inquire of the Lord. Go to God Himself. Repent of your sins. And God would have spoken to you. Instead, He did the very thing that God hated. He consulted a medium. He consulted the dead through a medium and brought upon Himself, I think, premature judgment, but judgment that He actually deserved. In verse 19 of 1 Samuel 28, we see the specifics of God's judgment, and it is that Saul and his sons will join Samuel in the grave. Uh, he says at the end of the verse, Indeed, the Lord will give over the army... Uh, let's just start at the beginning. Moreover, the Lord will also give over Israel along with you into the hands of the Philistines. Therefore, tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. So do you see what's going on here with Samuel, the Spirit? saying, you're going to be in the grave with me. He's not saying you're going to be in paradise with me or anything like that. I don't think Saul was a believer. He's saying, you're going to be in the grave with me. I'm dead. You're going to join me soon because of what happens through the Philistines. Finally, in verses 20 through 25, Saul's fate is more than he can bear. The news that he receives from Samuel is more than he can bear. And so in verse 20, he falls flat on the ground and was very afraid. Similar words there to verse 5. Right? He, was, he was afraid and greatly trembled in verse 20 and was very afraid because of the words of Samuel and there's no strength in him. It seems to me that he fainted. He apparently had fasted that day in order kind of as a, as a means to, to connect with God. Like maybe if I give up food, then God will have to speak to me. So he fasted. He hadn't eaten all day. He'd made this long, stressful journey through the night, um, through the Philistine camp. And then he had this terrible news that he hears from the spirit of Samuel. And after all of this kind of weighs on him, he, he passes out. And now, this news that the kingdom is passed on to David, it's just more than he can bear. And so in verses 21 through 25, the woman and his servants and Saul's servants convince him to eat. And he does. And then they head back to camp. It's going to be a long night for Saul because he's got a battle in the morning. Probably not going to get any sleep at all. Let me make a couple of 
comments with regard to implications of this text. Number one, contacting the dead is an abomination to God. What was prohibited in the Old Testament is still prohibited today by God. In the Mosaic Law, there are a number of sins that demanded the death penalty. Here's a short list. Just by doing a simple search of the phrase, put to death. This person is to be put to death for this sin. Murder, Exodus 21. Kidnapping, Exodus 21. Bestiality, Exodus 22. Profaning the Sabbath, Exodus 31. Homosexuality, Leviticus 20. Adultery, Leviticus 20. Sacrificing a child to Molech, Leviticus 20. Incest, Leviticus 20. Consulting the dead, Leviticus 20. Blasphemy, Leviticus 24. Flippantly entering the tabernacle as a non-priest. Just kind of just walking. I can, I can come in here. Numbers 3. False prophecy, Deuteronomy 13. Reprobation and open defiance. Gluttony, drunkenness, Deuteronomy 21. These are the kinds of sins that God absolutely despises. That's why He put that tag on them. Anyone who does these things will be put to death. And the reason that God prohibits all of these things is not because they don't work. Have you ever considered that, that murder actually does remove an annoyance from your life? So in one sense, murder actually does work, but that's not the point. Because murder actually rejects the value that God has on that human life, no matter how depraved they are, but that they are made in the image of God. And whoever sheds man's blood, by him his blood shall be shed. Murder also rejects God's role as avenger of those who sin against Him. So it's not the point that it doesn't work. And so I would suggest to you that in a similar way, contacting the dead through necromancers is not wrong because it doesn't work. It's wrong because it rejects God as the sovereign dispenser of truth and instead finds some other means to hear from God. So in case you're thinking, you know, this might be an opportunity for me to, to hear from God. I haven't heard from God. Don't make that attempt because God still despises it. Now, He's not going to bring our government down on you and bring about your death, but God has the power to, do, to bring about your death any way He wants. And so don't reap your own destruction because you've sowed the seed of doubt of doubting God and seeking ways to, to, to hear His wisdom apart from God. Number two. Can't get number two. I'll just tell it to you. Oh, there it goes. We are in danger of treating God like our cosmic butler or our genie in the bottle. We are in danger of doing exactly what Saul is doing or similar to what Saul is doing. Now, you and, may not, you and I may not go around doing seances with Wiccans or playing with Ouija boards to see if they work, but do you know that we are in danger of falling into the same trap as Saul? That, that we sometimes ignore the voice of God once and again and again And what starts out as a temporary defiance turns into a pattern, doesn't it? Which becomes a habit and then a lifestyle. And before we know it, we're like an unanchored fishing boat 
couple miles off the shore of the Atlantic Ocean and we don't notice that we are slowly drifting away from the safety that there is at the shore. The land that was once so large now has become a speck on the horizon. And if only we had listened to the warning sounds of the imminent storm and the danger of being out in the ocean during a squall. But we didn't want to listen to the warnings. We put the earplugs of our sinful pleasures into our ears so that we would be free from hearing the voice of warning. We didn't want that message of doom. And those messages of warnings were actually messages for our good, weren't they? And if we had listened and called out for help while we were close to the shore, we would have been heard and rescued. But now that we're miles away, there's no one listening. And there's no one to rescue us from the judgment that we embraced. Friends, God is not our 911 operator that we can call on only in times of distress and then never talk to Him again except for when we need to be rescued. God is not our genie in the bottle ready to answer our every wish whenever we call on Him. But then once we get that wish, we put Him back on the shelf until we need Him again. God is not our cosmic butler who can call, we can call on to serve our every need and then turn Him away. Go back downstairs where you belong so that we can get back to our comfortable, godless living. I've got what I want from you, now go away. You see, if we are in the habit of shutting out the voice of God, we should not be surprised when He is far from us when we want to hear Him speak. For Saul, it's as if God is right there, ready to speak to him at the drop of his hat. He had the prophet and the priest. But Saul didn't want to hear him anymore, and so he took a handkerchief and he stuffed it in the mouth of God and said, just sit there. And you know, God could have freed himself if he wanted to. And he could have shouted louder. But instead, he judged Saul with his silence. Occasionally, maybe, maybe he made some noises when he wanted to speak truth into a situation with regard to Saul. But Saul responded, I told you I don't want to hear from you. Maybe later. You know how God responds? If you don't want my wisdom, then I will be quiet. Friends, there are few judgments that are more terrible than the silence of God. Which is why hell is going to be so terrible. Because God will be silent in hell. He will not speak truth. He will not speak mercy into the ears of His enemies. He will be silent. And the problem with ignoring God is that without Him, we plunge ourselves deeper and deeper into the consequences of our own sin. And that's exactly what happened with Saul. He's in a desperate situation with no guidance from God. And so finally, he looks over and sees God sitting over there with His mouth still gagged from before. And he takes off the gag and says to God, Okay, now I'm ready for you to speak to me. Speak! 
There's nothing. He says, well, what do you have to say? Aren't you going to help me? No answer. And so he says louder, speak to me. Say something. I've taken off the gag. I want to listen. And God just sits there in silence. How much are we like Saul at times? That in this rebel world where we fear the light, all our gods must be domesticated and tame, right? They have to be something that we can hold on to, that we can put on a shelf when we want to, that we can turn away from. But God is not threatened by pretensions built on shame. In majestic splendor, God rules throughout our days. He is holy in His deeds and wise in all His ways. Friends, one of the greatest judgments that God could ever bring on us is a famine. A famine not of food, but a famine of God's voice. Oh, Christian, don't resist His voice once again. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter into it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience, He again fixes a certain day today, saying through David after so long a time as has been said before, today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts once again. Hebrews 4, 6, and 7. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake His way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and He will have compassion on him. And to our God, for He will abundantly pardon Isaiah 55, 6 and 7. The solution for Saul in his time of distress is the same solution for us. When it feels like God is far away, call on Him again through the means that He has given to you. Repent of your sins and be restored. I mean, how silly is it for us to pursue God's wisdom apart from God's means? Listen to Isaiah 8.19 when they say to you, consult the mediums and the spiritists who whisper and mutter. Should not a people consult their God? Should they consult the dead on behalf of the living? That's who we have at our disposal. That's who we have to call on in times of distress. We have the living God. And we go to other means. Because we've made it a pattern of when we hear from the living God, we don't want to, we don't want to respond. Don't allow the losses that you've experienced in your life turn you to be bitter toward God. Instead, follow the example of the psalmists. Why do you think almost half of the psalms are laments? Lament psalms, where they take some stressful situation, some difficult, distressing situation, and they turn it to God. And I think the reason for that is to show that in times of trouble, we need to be honest with God. We need to take our troubles to God. And when we do that, we actually show a measure of trust. When we go to God through God's means, unlike Saul, right? He goes to God through his own means. And he's not really concerned about God. But the psalmist, they went to God with God's means. Can I commend to you Psalm 58? psalm that we'll look at this Wednesday in this regard, a lament that helps us to take some distressing situation and put our focus where it belongs, dependent upon God. Sadly, as believers, 
We desperately, like Saul, an unbeliever, we seek the wisdom of God as long as we can get it on our own terms. But we don't have to. Because God is there. He is a a loving, compassionate God who opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so if you and I will humble, humble ourselves before God, we will find mercy and grace in time of need. Do you believe that? Let's pray. Father, we admit that there are many times when we want to hear from you, but then when we hear what you have to say, we, we don't like it. And so we ignore you, we disobey you, we turn to the sinful pleasures that we think will ultimately satisfy. And then we come back to you when things get too tough, and Lord, you're, you're there ready to forgive, and yet sometimes we still don't want to hear from you. And Lord, the, the sad part is, is that if we continue in that pattern, there will come a day when you stop speaking because we have sowed the seeds of ignoring you and we deserve to reap the, 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 the harvest of silence. But Lord, we don't want to be that way or knit our hearts towards you. Help us to love your word and to love your law and to meditate on it day and night and want to do your will with everything that we have. May we give our whole selves to the purpose of of honoring you. And Lord, may we not be like Saul, but instead like David. When, when our sin is exposed to us, we acknowledge it, turn from it, realize that it's a sin against you, and seek to be restored by speaking to you through your means. And Lord, you have given us so many resources. This side of the cross, we are so blessed. We, we have all the pages of Scripture that you wanted to have written. We have the history of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. We have all of that. And we don't have to wait for any of that to happen like the Old Testament saints did. And so in many ways, we are much, much better off than they. And yet we still, despite our great privilege, we balk on our responsibility to love you and to obey you and to seek your way. And so, Lord, we ask for your forgiveness and for your restoration and for your cleansing and for your changing. Lord, change our hearts tonight. Help us to see specific ways in which we have failed to listen to you. Help us to see specific sins that we have failed to repent of and to turn from those today. Because we know that you are a faithful God who loves to respond to those who humble themselves before you. Saul was unwilling to do so, but we're happy to do so because we know that it is the means by which you bring grace and mercy and help in time of need. If the Lord come to our aid, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.